0: It's been the capital of Spain since 1561 when Madrid became the hub of the mighty Spanish Empire, a cosmopolitan powerhouse and home to some of the greatest collections of art in the entire world. Today, it's a bustling and love-with-life nonstop city that still manages to hold on to its traditions and historic plazas and architecture. But I don't need to sell my three guests on the wonders of their hometown. In the studio now, We have Federico García Barroso, Javier Menor, and Amanda Buttinger, three Madrid-based tour guides who wouldn't dream of living anywhere else. Federico, Javier, Amanda, welcome. Thank Thank you. Thank you. In the United States, people debate about living in various cities, Chicago, L.A., New York City, Seattle, and so on. They have their feelings about the warmth of the people, the cost of living, climate, the character of each place. How does Madrid stack up against Barcelona, Sevilla, and the other great cities?
1: Javier? Oh, it's it has its own personality. It's been the capital since the 1500s, and I guess that um, I could define Madrid as the establishment. Changes take a long time to reach Madrid, but that's why you can feel comfortable there. It's not an avant-garde city like Barcelona could be. You just zoom through the streets and you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Amanda, you've lived in Madrid. Uh, you grew up in Maryland, I understand, but mm-hmm. you've lived in Madrid for
0: over 20 years. Yes, yes. How would you characterize Madrid compared to other great? Is there a personality I difference? feel like
2: Madrid is a very tangible city. You can walk across the old town. You can live in the old town without feeling like you're in the skyscraper area of somewhere like Chicago. Uh, the people are wonderful to feel and watch. And you always have to look up in Madrid. There's some, always something to see in Madrid. You
0: mentioned a uh, skyline like Chicago. It does have that wonderful, it's Gran Via, right, with, mm-hmm. lined with all of these mm-hmm. Art Deco skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. So you get that big, you know, metropolitan feeling.
3: Mm-hmm. But
0: it's a very walkable city, isn't it? It is, it is. You can it walk is. from the Palace to the Prado Museum right through the main exactly. square.
2: Exactly. You go from the metropolitan area with the Schweppes neon sign, and then you walk two blocks over, and you're in a quaint little neighborhood with shops and bars and people sitting on benches.
0: Federico, any thoughts on how Madrid is unique compared to other Spanish cities? Yes,
4: yes, Rick. I have to say that um, Amanda is a very good example of what we are talking now. Many American and Canadian friends, they just come to Spain, they just go to different places, they are thinking about settling down there, and finally they choose Madrid, you see. It's a very friendly city, very cosmopolitan, open to everyone. And I have to say, as we, we tour guides, guiding people everywhere all over Spain, you know, I really, really think, honestly, and I love other places in Spain, that Madrid is absolutely the best city
0: to welcome travelers. So, Federico, you said cosmopolitan. Hmm. How is Madrid a cosmopolitan city?
4: It's a very cosmopolitan city in, in because of many reasons. Um, well, obviously, the Latin American community, you see, when they just come to Spain, they just Madrid is just the gate of arrivals, you see. Mm-hmm. And it is it is important to, to see many people come from Latin America and also from many other places, from, from many different destinations, you see. They come to Madrid, they stay there, and we can see that in those restaurants, so many restaurants from every place in the world.
0: Amanda, you settled in Madrid. Are you a local now? I mean,
2: I am a local. I know the people at the bread shop. I know the people in my grocery store, the lady. I always go to Lucia's checkout, all those types of things. And each little neighborhood in Madrid is like its own village. In my perception, I, I feel like that that's what it's like when you go to each little area has its own character and its own village sense. So if you
0: say a village, describe that a little more. What's it like to have a village in a big city of several million people?
2: You say hi to the people on the street, if you go to a bar more than three times, they know what you want. They are your friends, and it's a sense of community in a small area of a big, big city.
0: So, Javier, I've been in Madrid with you looking at um, bars and tavernas and so on, and it's just a, an amazing sort of energy in the tapas scene. In a lot of regions of Spain, you've got your one style.
1: Madrid, it seems to all come together. Oh, totally. And um, I was born in the 70s, and I have seen the evolution of Madrid. The restaurant, the bar is seen. And it's improving so much. In two years, you have a new neighborhood. You have a new street, a new area. My problem when I write a guidebook is I find the place I really loved, and I wish it was the same next year, but it's changing all the time. You have it to go is, back. It is. this constant evolution because there is a lot of margin for evolution in Madrid. A, a lot of margin for evolution. A, a lot of margin for, for evolution. Um, we were like so back, so behind, uh-huh. for example, oh, Barcelona, yeah. that there is a lot of room to improve, to change, to make it better. So you took me to a big theater, a giant
0: classic theater that is now like a food festival. Describe these kind of
1: places. Mercados. Yeah. Now we have all the traditional mercados that are from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. You go to the butcher, you go buy fish, you go buy your fruit, and around 1.30, the new shops are opening which are little restaurants, like implants, inside the market. In the market, in, the, the, in, the, in the farmer's market. So you've got the butcher selling steaks, and next door you have the uh, the man who is grilling the steaks. Because
0: there's that one amazing scene uh, north of Gran Via that uh, was just a former market, and mm-hmm. it becomes kind of tired. Federico?
4: Yes, I took you to that place called Platilla, Platilla, ah which means actually in English orchestra. It uh-huh. was a beautiful classic movie theater that has been totally transformed into an epicurean center, a gastronomic place where you can actually have uh, Spanish tapas and also food from other
0: places. So it's like a three three layers of former seating for a yeah. theater, mm-hmm. uh, art deco grandeur, a mm-hmm. stage, mm-hmm. and it must have been 20 restaurants and then yeah. every few minutes they would open the curtain on the stage and there'd be live entertainment for all the diners.
4: It's really one of the
0: best places in the city.
4: It is the best choice to, to enjoy Spanish food and it's not really expensive. And the
0: name is? Platia. Platia. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm talking with Federico Garcia Barroso, Amanda Buttinger and Javier Menor. We're talking about why we love Madrid. Our phone number is 877-333-7425 and Lynn's calling from Coral Springs in Florida. Lynn, thanks for your call. Do you have a comment for our guides?
3: Yes, I do. I think one of the best, un heard of places to visit is the Sarabo Museum. I hardly know anybody that's been there and it's one of the best things that anybody could ever see in Madrid. It's a uh mansion and everybody could see how the uh, kings and queens lived. That's like a throwaway but you could really see how a rich person lived in their home and from the floor to the ceiling he covered it in um, all kinds of decorative arts. It's Really overdone, but so fantastic to see. It has a ballroom um, because if you were wealthy, then you had a ballroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then now, wait a second. See... This is the oh,
0: Ceralbo C E R A L B O museum, and correct. from the Belle Epic, meaning uh, before World War One, right? The turn of the oh yes.
3: turn of the twentieth yeah, century. The the wealthy people, and after seeing all of these rooms and the bathrooms, which are interesting, and the kitchens and. You go to his bedroom, and it's as spare as a nun's room. That was his bedroom. But in the end, it is one of the most magnificent things you could possibly go to see in Madrid, as far as I'm concerned.
0: You know, you're, it's reminding me of the jacques Mart André Museum in Paris. Another but they had,
3: a, yes, example they, had, of that. they had taste. And they <laughs> had taste, and they say. had
0: money. And this was before World War One, when it was a gilded society. It's also reminded me of the... Um, beautiful Gaudi private homes, uh, Casa Mía, in uh, Barcelona. And you can tour it and you can see just what somebody was, li- a rich person was, how they would live so elegantly. Uh, Federico, do you know about this museum? That Lynn's yes, about? it's
4: actually one of those, our, our small secrets in, in Madrid. We usually talk no about... No longer it. a small secret. No, no longer. No longer. We always talk about the royalty, and then we have to remember the nobility also. Yes. Some remarkable people in the Spanish nobility, they sponsored those artists, as you see. And you can feel that uh, philanthropic atmosphere in that wonderful Serralbo Museum, which is located, by the way, not far from the Royal Palace and not far from the Egyptian temple okay. and the bor. And the garden, not only the building, the garden, is actually like traveling time. And then you go to those wonderful years of the late 1800s and the beginning of the 1900s. Uh-huh. And it's, it's just like the Belle Epoque in Madrid,
0: you saw in a nutshell. Hey, uh, Lynn, you know, when you talk about the Serralbo Museum, I also think of the Sorolla Museum. Have you been there?
3: I have been there, too, and I really had not known who Soroya was until I went to his home, and he didn't have as much money, but all oh, the paintings are there, and then you realize that Sargent and he were good friends, and they, they fed off of each other, and you could see the influence, and that's another unknown, wonderful place to go if you really want to delve into the city and see more than just the highlights that everybody goes to.
0: Lynn, it sounds like you're a, travel, a budding travel writer or tour guide.
3: Thank you. I'm glad to be validated. Happy Thank travel.
0: You. you bet. Bye-bye. And Ed's calling from Vancouver in Washington. Buenos dias, Ed. How are you doing?
3: Hey,
5: buenos dias, Rick. Yes, uh, hey, I have a question. It's uh, kind of a interesting thing. Last year I was lucky enough to go to Mallorca, and on the way there on the plane, uh, one of my fellow travelers said, hey, you have to try a gin and tonic when you're in Spain. Hmm. And I thought, well, you know, gin and tonic, that doesn't sound like anything, you know, Spain would be famous for, but boy when i got there and i ordered a gin and tonic in a bar it was quite a ritual to watch the bartender prepare this and you know ask me questions about what kind of ingredients i wanted and and so i just i'd like to hear a little bit more about that and maybe a great place in madrid to have the mm. Gin and tonic, and, and you know maybe a little bit of the history behind it.
0: Because we know walking to get a caña, a little beer, and we know to get a, a glass of uh, vino tinto. Federico, what about uh, mm-hmm. gin and tonic and other uh, there is, drinks?
4: Actually, there is a place. There is there are several places all over the city, but but in just in the city center, there is a street called Reina Queen. Reina R-E- Street. How do you spell it? R e i n a. Okay. Reina Street, and right there, we we well a few years ago there was just one or two places. Now there is a kind of I mean several places where people go there to enjoy that that protocol you know, to serve you those so a ritual the for how to drink gin and tonic a ritual about the gin and tonic, and it's a wonderful place where you find there of course locals and many uh, travelers you see enjoying that. I had a friend in
0: Barcelona who was determined to take me to a vermouth bar. Mm-hmm. That, that was very trendy in Barcelona. Is that unique to Catalan, or is, are there vermouth bars around That's
2: Spain? my first date with my husband and was at a vermouth bar. <laughs> okay, so, what, what is a,
0: what, how do you describe it's a an, vermouth
2: bar? It's an aperitif. It, for me, where I like to go are the classic wooden bars and uh, old style uh, traditional tiles and things yeah. like that and you go in and you have a little vermouth and maybe some olives on the side yeah, and some it's a way to, little
1: munchies
0: with it yeah to yeah. open
2: up your appetite and okay. it's a little bit sweet a little bit
1: and, uh, I may say strong. that uh Jean Jean Antonin has been the drink for the last five years but now we're moving towards vermouth is that oh. right so the vermouth
0: so because yeah, I I drink. really enjoyed the uh, just the vibe in this vermouth bar hmm. but uh, the beautiful thing when we go to Spain in the United States we have all sorts of efficiency, but we don't have that abundance of bars that have this elegant sort of patina of age and tradition. And people go there as they, as their parents did almost. And mm-hmm.
2: it's got that well, elegance. you go into the, into the bar where I had the first date, there are all kinds of people. Uh, Older, retired couples, people in their 20s, people in their 30s, people with kids.
0: So Ed, there's a great example of how to relax your way through the end of a sightseeing day in Madrid.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much.
6: That's a good idea. Thanks I'll do for that your next call. Time.
0: Okay, happy travels. And James is calling from Virginia Beach in Virginia. James, thanks for your call.
6: Hi, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. I talk to you many times. I hope to run into you sometime in Europe.
0: <laughs> I hope so. Keep an eye out for me. <laughs>
6: yes, I've been to Europe 14 times, usually with groups and but a couple of times I've gone on my own, being an adventuresome senior citizen, I want to endorse Madrid. In 2014, my college spring break, I, I rented a, uh, actually a hostel right down the street from the Puerta Palaz- uh, del Sol in Madrid for a week. And I found Madrid to be just a wonderful and safe City with laid-back people I also did so James hang on, hang
0: on did I catch that you're a senior traveler and you stayed in a hostel
6: Yes sir I've done that actually uh, in several cities in Europe.
0: What's that like uh, to be that as big as the as old as the grandfather of a lot of the kids in the in the dorm room next to you
6: well here's the thing the times of years I've traveled actually I went to Paris and Barcelona four days each in a December and there's actually only one other person in the in the unit <laughs> in the building. So you're paying I had a, for I had a single room.
0: I love that. Know. In a hostel you can very conceivably pay for a bed in a room with twenty beds and it's gonna be, you know, ten or twenty bucks and you actually have a single with a lot of place to stretch out. <laughs>
6: Even like in uh, Vienna, there were three other people in the room. They were graduate students, yeah. two of them in my field. So it, it was, I met some interesting people. It's been very safe. Nothing's stolen. Hey, James,
0: <laughs> did did you take any side trips from Madrid that you would have uh, yes, people Yes, I wanted
6: remember. to mention that. Yes, since you're there for seven days, nothing against Madrid, but I, I planned two side trips. I did take a bus, day trip to Segovia, which was wonderful. And another day of the week, I took a a, a side trip to Toledo. So, so the, you know, this is what I would recommend those as nice, easy side trips to take from Madrid.
0: All right. Hey, James, thanks for your call. And um, after you uh, hang up, stay listening because I'm going to ask our guides to talk about their favorite side trips. Okay? Thank you. Okay, thank you. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking about Madrid, and a great thing about Madrid is it is the hub of a great country with wonderful transportation that comes in and out of Madrid. If you're frustrated by the trains, hop on the bus. A lot of us are really committed to the trains, but there are wonderful bus connections, and I'd love to just let Amanda, Javier, and Federico each uh, talk about one favorite day trip from Madrid and why.
2: I think my most favorite day trip is to Segovia. I think uh, you can either take the bus or the train. It's uh, kind of whatever you prefer, uh, whether you take the fast train in and then take a shuttle bus into the town or take the bus directly into more of a central part of town. I think they're both very easy, but it's very magical.
0: Famous for its Roman, aqueduct, Roman aqueducts, its castle, its, its romantic castle.
2: Alcazar, and then also a lot of beautiful Romanesque churches that you can peek in and even just see from the outside to walk really off that beaten I really enjoyed the Paseo in, yeah. in
0: Segovia, too. Oh, it's, it's gorgeous. Wonderful, it's like
1: a gully through
2: the mm-hmm, town, and everybody's mm-hmm.
0: there.
1: Javier. I'm going to say Segovia as well, but don't make it a day trip. Stay for one night <laughs> because those cities are day trips. And uh, when, oh, when they yeah, reach yeah. the 5 p.m., 6 p.m. line, yeah. they transform themselves, and they become very different places. So make the effort mm-hmm. and spend one night. How long would it take by bus or train
0: to go from Madrid to Segovia? One hour. And I bet there's a departure at 10 o'clock
1: at night. Probably. So you could, I mean, if you're just a crazy
0: American traveler without much time and you couldn't spend the night, you could actually go in the afternoon and stay until And take one of the last uh, oh, bus trains to bus go back. back? I think mm-hmm. so, yeah. <laughs> I bet you could so get a midnight of, bus
1: back. <laughs> instead of going early, Go a bit later and enjoy the last part of the day. And Federico, your tip for a day trip out
0: of Madrid.
4: Yes, there are several places, several places, and, and um, they're all quite reachable with a high-speed train. You can go to Segovia, Toledo, Cuenca. That is fantastic. You can mm-hmm. go to Sevilla.
0: Sevilla, Córdoba. Way in the south. It used to be a 10-hour train ride. Mm-hmm. Now how long on the AVE? Two hours and a half, if I'm not wrong. Two hours and a half. You yeah. could get an early breakfast, have eight hours in Sevilla... <laughs> I mean, it seems ridiculous, but if you've never seen Sevilla, so the point is there are a lot of places you can reach because of Spain's excellent public transportation. When I first went to Spain, no freeways, no fast trains. Now, laced with freeways and laced with bullet trains.
4: There is also a nice place in the outskirts of Madrid in the mountains called El Escorial. I really Mm -hmm. like El Escorial, where you see that massive fortress of Philip II, the king in in Spain in, in Madrid, 1560, one And showing to you the power of those Habsburgs, you see, it's a, it's a huge fortress, and people are actually quite fascinated about those stories. Is it
0: fair to say, back then, the king of
4: Spain was the most powerful man in Europe? He was, actually. I mean, just think about how that country that is far, 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 far away from Spain called the Philippines. The Philippines were the islands of
0: Philip. Named after uh, King Philip? Yeah. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I have just really enjoyed talking with all of you, getting all sorts of ideas on going back to Madrid. Amanda Buttinger. Javier Menor, and Federico García Barroso. Gracias.
2: De nada. Gracias.
0: Gracias, Ricky. Gracias. Hey, I'm Rick Steves. In my latest book, For the Love of Europe, I share highlights of a lifetime of exploring Europe, my favorite experiences, sights, and encounters in 100 essays. Order your copy today at ricksteves.com.